loiter song gagged, gap toothed whistle no more, song not ever, pasta on the corner mistakes empty for heaven, communion run empty, no two or more gathered, no bodies here, only ghosts and memory holding this nothing and nobody place up. Hello and welcome to episode two of the Interpreter's House podcast with me, Andrew Wells, and my guest, Boyega Odubanjo. I spoke with Boyega at the end of August about his pamphlets, While I Yet Live, and Auntie Uncle Poems, published by Bad Betty and Poetry Business, respectively, as well as about the impact of editing on our own poetry and the curse of writing editorials. The issue of Bathmag we're talking about can be found at bathmag, with two Gs, dot com, and includes a stunning interview between Boyega and Raymond Antrobus. Thank you again to Boyega for joining me, and to you for listening. Carry on with Bathmag, because yeah, um, I'm curious. Issue 7 comes out on Saturday, and so it's my turn to write the editorial and like interview our future poet, who is Raymond Antrobus. And so, yeah, I'm just writing the editorial at the moment. And um, I always find... What'd you say? I was just about to ask, how are you finding it? I always find them um, quite weird because, like, there's this thing with editorials where you need to, like, put a little anecdote in there that ties together with the poems and... Mm. Yeah, I just find that a bit um a bit performative at times because really yeah. I just want to talk about the poems, but I know that if I just spoke about the poems, then it would be a shit editorial. <laughs> I don't know. I'd kinda of like to see editorials that are giving close readings. Mm. You know, reimagining the editorial as a as a form. Yeah. I'm game. I really, I, I struggled for similar reasons because mm. you're trying to like give a nod to everyone in the issue. Yeah. But yeah, you yeah. can't, you can't. So you've got to try and say like super inclusive things whilst mm. also saying super specific things. Yeah. And it's just, it's like an impossible balance. Um, and you're trying to like take the issue out of itself. You're kind mm-hmm. of trying to apply it to the world. And I think that's what I mean by these anecdotes because there's enough of an echo chamber as it is and obviously the poems in the issue are hopefully going to show that the world is in the issue but from the editor's point of view it's the one opportunity to like kind of present a human face to the Mm -hmm. readers and stuff. Yeah, you're trying to sort of you're trying to be critical and critically minded whilst also welcoming people yeah, as yeah, readers, yeah. and it's like it's a hard balance because you don't want to be too sort of high minded, I guess. Yeah, and yeah. put people off, yeah. but you also want to do the poems justice. So, yeah. yeah, and there's also the fact that the editorial is objectively the least important part of the issue. Right, you don't want to seem to yeah, not want to seem up yourself basically. <laughs> yeah, so it's yeah, interesting. I've, I've been there. Yeah, like, honestly, yeah. towards the end, of, towards the end of like Habathorn, um as a magazine. I mean, we're still a press, mm-hmm. but we don't really do the magazine as much. Um, I gave up with editorials. <laughs> I was just like, I was just like, welcome to the issue. <laughs> Have fun. Yeah. I like try to like, I like up, update people if there were if there was news of some kind, mm-hmm. but yeah, I always looked back on the editorials and hated them as well. Mm-hmm. I would think it was really good for a couple of months, mm. then I would look at it and think that's terrible writing. Yeah, I think not to put you off. <laughs> no, 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 that's fine because so the first editorial I wrote for Bath was last summer, and when I look back at that, I think it's garbage. So yeah. as long as this is better than that, then I'll be fine. Yeah, I mean, that's how writing always is. Yeah. It's supposed to be better than the last time. Hmm. Have you found editing has changed your writing at all? I think certainly, because I think 
when I edit, I can be very pernickety with things such as punctuation or line length or grammar. And so those small but accumulative things that I focus on when I'm editing someone else's work, I now focus on them more so when I'm writing or editing my own work. Um, Mm. Because I think that if you are questioning someone as to why have you done this, then it's only natural that you then question yourself. Yeah, Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah, It's nice to see to hear someone saying the same thing, because that's very much how I feel about editing and writing. But um, I'm not going to throw too much shade. I feel like there is some... um, There are some presses at the moment where it feels more like a production line, and there isn't much editing actually going on. Um, Which has then affected my relationship with some authors, because they're like, what do you mean you have edits? Yeah. It's like there's no there's no pressure. You don't have to accept them. I wouldn't have taken the work if I, I wasn't happy with it. Um, I'm just going to close my window really quickly. Yeah, go for it. Me but, me throwing me throwing shade on other presses might be something. Yeah, no, 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 anyway. no, but I do wholeheartedly agree with you, and I think that. Obviously, different presses have different um, budgets or allocations of time. But as a writer, um, when I think about publications of my own, I think that an editing process is absolutely vital. Yeah, I also, I feel like the poems where I've had some editorial attention which I have out in the world those are the poems which I not only feel happiest about but also kind of safest about because I feel like someone's given the work attention I'm in good hands you know it's all gonna be fine I'm not gonna like I'm not gonna look back on the poem and regret it in any way yeah and I think that um if you don't have if whatever publication you're with doesn't have like a vigorous editing process, then it's about finding those connections for yourself, finding an editor who may be a friend or someone who you've met along the way who can perform that role. Yeah. I mean, we're both quite lucky because we both had UEA sort of met those people and Mm -hmm. can sort of always reach out to them, I guess. Yeah. Do you think do you think having had the workshop environment that's sort of partly influencing you as an editor? Yes. Um and obviously not everyone has the same access to those spaces, but yeah, most certainly being in a room with twelve to fifteen other people and not necessarily being interrogated but being asked direct questions which may induce discomfort Mm -hmm. ultimately helped. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. Yeah. And I was also one of the assholes that probably interrogation was the right word. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that um, who was I reading? It was some person who I don't know and I don't particularly rate, who was saying that they feel that this current fad or whatever of interrogating each word for its meanings and its implications and its whatever, they felt that that was stifling creativity. And I just feel Such the opposite. It is. I think it was. <laughs> I might be wrong, but I think it was um, John Cleese, who is oh, right. about to do a documentary on Channel Four, where he's like talking about woke culture and yeah. 
whatever. Yeah, he's very yeah. much fuck political correctness. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, I think personally, even if there is always the possibility of workshop spaces being safer and more considerate, that process of someone or a group of people looking at the words that you're using and the way that you're using those words and telling you that what you're doing is garbage I think that that's a valuable process yeah I think as much as workshops should be a safe space it's also a way of keeping you safe in the future right Mm -hmm. you know yeah Generally, as writers, we're our own worst enemies, and yeah. we absolutely love a piece when it's first completed and want to send it to everyone. Yeah. But um, as I you think, say about yeah. Um, feeling, yeah, like, as you say about feeling safer with work that has been edited, it's, it comes down to that, innit? Like, if you've just mm-hmm. written by yourself and then you send it out to the world, you might have written a load of nonsense. And if mm-hmm. it had been I've edited, definitely done that before. Like likewise. And if it had been edited, if people who want you to do well have seen it and have critiqued it, then that's less likely to happen. I think. Yeah, I'd agree with that. It it's a way of being safer when you're doing something that's kind of not safe and yeah. a little bit vulnerable, mm-hmm. you know. If you're if you're saying something controversial, it's an opportunity to run this controversial thing by another person. Yeah, 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 yeah. as well. Especially so it, if you yeah. know that you're kind of trying to do something which is unfamiliar or which is risky. Yeah, or or trying to you're either trying to unpack some kind of problem yeah, or problematize yeah. something. Mm-hmm. You, it's usually one or the other. Otherwise, it's kind of boring. Yeah, yeah. And and if there's a problem, sort of from the very beginning, I think it. I think dialogue is mm. really important. Yeah. I'm gonna ask you about your work now a little bit. Cool. Um, I'm gonna start with Auntie Uncle poems because it's the newest. It is. Which, for our future listeners is published by poetry business and this year 2021 yes um i was feeling guilty because i didn't know that it had come out until i got in touch with you mm. and i was like oh there's another one which is great <laughs> um then i felt less guilty because it was june 2021 so i felt yeah. a little bit less behind yeah. the times how was it launching and having a pamphlet out during the pandemic it was <clears throat> weird because I have a lot of experience of like reading and performing my work in public and Mm -hmm. so for a long time because many of the poems in the pamphlet I hadn't read to a large group of people it didn't necessarily feel like they were out in the world as such, even if they had been previously published, I didn't necessarily feel confident in their being because a large part of how I got into poetry and what I enjoy about poetry is that experience of standing in front of people and reading the words to them. And so Mm. even with online readings that still didn't really scratch that itch for me. So the initial launch was done online by the poetry business with the other recipients of the New Poets Prize. And that went very well. But I think it was until I did my own launch at the Roundhouse in London in front of people that I became more, yeah, that I felt that, okay, now I've got a pamphlet out, a new pamphlet out. Yeah, there's something about the immediacy of mm. readings in front of people. I mean, even with a Zoom reading, you're not really seeing the people in no. front of you. You're not really talking. You know, it's you sort of in the picture. Just you're looking, sort of looking at, at your yourself head. as you're as you're yeah. Read- yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and I'm all for Zoom readings. <laughs> I think they yeah. have um, 
and I, I, I hope that we have both yeah. going yeah. forward because I think they make readings really accessible, especially being in the States now. Mm -hmm. It's really nice to be able to hear people in the UK read. Yeah. Um, but I do miss in-person events. I mm -hmm. think that I think having a pint while you're you know listening to someone mm -hmm. telling a story, reading a poem in front of you is completely different. Yeah. And then even the experience after the reading of like trying to remember what the person just read or like just talking about what they read or pretending that you know what they just read or pretending that you understand what they just read. Even pretending that, that you like it. <laughs> like, yeah, like that's that's all fun, isn't it? Like yeah, I just... think all those imperfections are something that Zoom kind of papers over. It's a really like it's a really passive dynamic by comparison. Yeah. And that it's just not quite as fun. Mm -hmm. There's something to be said for having a reader come up to you and being like, did you like it? And you've had a few pints in yeah. you. <laughs> Yeah. And then the like process of reading itself, if like at a live reading you would like say a little anecdote or whatever mm -hmm. before or in between a poem, doing that when you're just in your room by yourself just feels really weird, I find. Yeah. I also think you you also miss out on the sort of unexpected encounter mm -hmm. as well. I remember one reading at UEA, um, just an open mic that it was a UEA live. So, yeah. you know, um, we had Mona Arshi reading and I, yeah. I, um, I usually say something self-deprecating yeah. before my poems. Why? It's anyone's guess. <laughs> um, but Mona Arshi really told me off for that. <laughs> <laughs> Which was just so funny. Yeah. Like I loved it. Yeah. Um, and that's my only interaction with Monashi. But that's the stuff that you don't really get on a Zoom reading. Yeah, that's um, true. That, that shit is fun. Um, and I guess it was obviously quite a big contrast with, while well, I yet live, he mm -hmm. says, knowing full well that he, um, I misquoted the title that one time. <laughs> Every time I say the title now, I really like, really emphasize <laughs> the I, <laughs> the placement of the I. Um, which for our audience is just a big end joke because we had a reading two years ago. Yeah, which seems like forever. Mm. Or I got the, yeah. I said while well, yet I live instead mm. of while I yet live. Yeah, that's cool. that's cool. Um, but I I remember there being sort of multiple events and a couple of them were really really big at mm. the time. So it must be quite a contrast from what is not that long ago. Yeah. Um, I think quite a contrast um, because those poems in While I Yet Live were mainly written throughout my masters at UEA so I read them a lot at UEA and then I read them a lot when I came back to London before they before the pamphlet had come out and then there was the launch and then other things followed on from that whereas with Auntie Uncle poems I wrote like 80% of it last summer when I was just right. So beyond having Zoom feedback sessions with like friends, there was mm -hmm. no kind of testing of those poems in public in the same way that there was with While I Yet Live. Yeah, that's quite scary in a way, not mm -hmm. having that testing process they also seem like quite different collections to me though there, there are a couple of similar themes mm. auntie uncle feels very much um feels a bit more meditative mm. about um family structure within the world whereas while i yet live yes i got it right i'm so paranoid now <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna get complacent mm. towards the end of the interview and start getting it wrong again um but that pamphlet feels more about going out into the world. Yeah. If you, if do you see what I mean? Yeah, if, yeah. I don't want to say more dynamic because I think they're both kind of dynamic in their own way. I, While I yet live, mm -hmm. just it feels like a very like active first person going out into the world. Whereas 
auntie uncle feels about the family and the extended family within and its place in the world i agree with that and i think that it's reflected by where i was writing the Mm -hmm. two pamphlets while i yet live i was going out into the world auntie uncle poems i was at home and i think beyond that you mentioned the first person thing in while i yet live and I think there are a few poems in Auntie Uncle poems that like performs that I, but I kind of had a, I made a conscious decision to focus less on the I in Auntie Uncle poems than I did in While I Yet Live and to focus more on a conceptual we as it were yeah um the eye when it does appear in auntie uncle poems it seems as well to be deconstructing feels a bit like a cliche but um, <laughs> um i'm just gonna i'm gonna get my notes up i think it's um the drake poem but mm-hmm. i do have specific notes it'll probably be good to turn to we'll edit this bit out obviously yeah it is drake equation where you talk you say i need more content Mm -hmm. so the i feels kind of ironic a lot of the time um there's also another um yeah blessed princess lady where you're talking about um almost appropriating the death of the mother Mm -hmm. in order to get content Mm -hmm. and so the i is the eye is critiqued as a kind of performative yeah. um, construct in poetry. Yeah. And I think that is most definitely one of my intentions to for the eye to not really be an eye, but to mm. be a parody of an eye. I think that in While I Yet Live, that I is still performative, I would argue, but it is much more performative of me, Boyega or Dubenjo, whilst I would say that the few times that the first person comes out in auntie-uncle poems... I'd like to imagine it being more performative of us being whatever group of people I'm talking about at that time, be they Londoners or Nigerians or young people or black people or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the poems in in Auntie Uncle poems, um, for me, it's often trying to it's finding ways to coexist Mm -hmm. um and so there's a lot of contradiction within the poems i'm again going to turn to my notes um but i'm thinking about brother in particular the last poem in the collection Mm -hmm. if i'm not mistaken where there's this kind of there's this mix of togetherness but also there's accusation because it seems like the two characters in the poem have similar um well they have differing views on climate change that seems to be (laughs) the world seems to be on fire and one seems to be living it up and the other can't live it up so kind of desires that lifestyle also recognizes that lifestyle is contributing to climate change so there's this mix of um feelings of complicity um but also like love and togetherness and and trying to find ways to um, make that okay. Yeah. And I would argue that that is representative of family. In that, yeah, I, I would completely agree. Yeah, yeah. In that you can be under one roof, you can be one family and hold very disparate views on big things, but mm-hmm. the love remains. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. 
yeah, yeah. That's that's yeah. I'm always relieved when my reading <laughs> is more or less accurate. It's one of the reasons I'm enjoying doing um, interviews, even though this is only my second, because you can ask if you're not yeah. sure. Yeah. Whereas reviews, you're putting it out and you have to. It feels kind of terrifying to me. Um, but I think also in Brother, it is, um, what's the word? Compromise? Where it's like, yeah. yeah, the world is burning and I might think that's shit, but you want to buy a car. It doesn't mean I'm not going to get in your car and yeah, enjoy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would. And also, I mean, and there's plenty of left-wing writing about this, even even critiquing billionaires and the things that billionaires mm-hmm. we kind of all want it as well yeah yeah i i have dreamed of an aston martin for a very long time <laughs> i'm never gonna get one but if i could i mean i would certainly take it if it was offered mm-hmm. so you know, we all desire those problematic things i guess yeah um right i started with like my last note because it was the last poem so now mm-hmm. i've got to um one thing I was going to ask, which is a broader question, is about religion in your work, because it's a big um, Yeah, <laughs> it's not. It's a big one in that it's it's everywhere, but it's also not particularly intrusive. Yeah. Um, or you know, in the reader's face about it. So I'm I'm just curious because it seems um, seems to be more a thing that the your world, the speaker's world, mm. revolves around a little bit or falls back to. Um, and so it's kind of just grounded in it rather than um, more than anything else. Is that right? What's what's your relationship with religion and writing in your work? So when you say um, the speaker falls back on it and is grounded by it, I think that that's how I think of it in the sense that my language a lot of it is coming from church and it's coming from mm-hmm. the Bible. So yeah. there are certain emotions or situations where it is natural for me to speak in those terms and to like go even further. My family are Christians. I'm not. So interesting. I'm surrounded by it. And it will always have an impact on me. And, yeah, I think a lot of the ways that I try to use it is, again, it's performing a certain type of relationship to the world and relationship to the systems or, like, philosophies that govern us and Mm -hmm. I'm trying to not necessarily rail against anything but problematize it problematize the language problematize commitment to it and relationship to it yeah this is something that I've really admired about your work for quite a while I remember I couldn't find it in while I yet live um, or Auntie Uncle poems, but I remember a poem that you read at the Bad Betty Haverthorn mm-hmm. event where you were sort of saying, I'm not a political poet within this poem about the apocalypse. Oh, right, yeah. Um, I'm just going to shut my door real quickly. Hold on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, I think that's something that I wrestle with um, because I would never unprovoked call myself a political poet if someone were to describe me as a political poet and provide evidence then I probably wouldn't be able to argue with them well I I think your point a lot of the time is that which I agree with all poetry is political if you're trying to exclude it that's political Mm -hmm. um you don't sort of need to wear a t-shirt as it were to Mm -hmm. be a political poet your work is political because that's where you're living. Yeah. Um, um, before I forget, 
I'm going to ask you to read a poem. Is there one that you would like to read, or should I select one? You can select one. Um, okay. Well, how about how about we have a reading of Brother, seeing as we've been talking about that one? Sure. Brother is <clears throat> funny because the world is burning. This day is another. I wake up at 6.30. You south somewhere wake up. The day is itself. Metro become evening standard, become sleep. But today it's autumn and it's been a court mandated 12 months. So you're driving again. The world is burning. I don't care. You say you're going to buy a Tesla and we both know you won't. We won't make a difference, will we? Easy listening on repeat till it's smoke in the car, smoke in the streets. Thank you. I yeah, I love that poem. I also, um, just a formal point, which is maybe a little pretentious, and I hope you don't disagree with it. I really love the... Um, the hard rhyme towards the end where it's kind of got this cheerful vibe Hmm. and you're kind of caught up in fat as the world ends Hmm. in this kind of inescapable way, which I think is how a lot of us feel living our lives. Yeah. It's this problem that's too big to surmount. So we just carry on. Hmm. And suddenly, suddenly California's on fire. Yeah. Like suddenly Stratford is flooding and like maybe it's um passing the buck but it is one of the things that I find most interesting in writing and it's one of the themes that I'm able to like pick out a few places in my writing where the good times are like back to back with the bad times as if it's face off with Nicolas Cage and John Travolta. I feel like you um, do a really good job of portraying how the big problems are also in many ways insurmountable for the individual. Mm. That's also a feeling that I get. Um, But I like in oil music as well, um, the kind of, um, the the complicity. I mean, we talk, I was well. I was talking about this before, where you sort of desire these things, even though you know they're problematic. Mm-hmm. And so you've you've almost got that good time and bad time within that poem, right? You've got the framing with the with love and the bathtub, and then there's this kind of almost dark eroticism towards the end mm. with you know oil companies in the middle. Yeah. Yeah, I think with, and for me, that is, yeah, just, there are these very, very real problems. Me writing this poem isn't necessarily going to change much, but what I'm hoping to do is just show how sick it is, like Mm -hmm. just how sick what people are doing is, and how in the very moment that they're doing it, they're reveling. And whilst they may not explicitly say, oh, yeah, we're happy that people's livelihoods and lives are being destroyed, they are living la vida loca. They are in love with themselves and with their ability to acquire capital. Yeah, and they also rationalise the acquiring of capital. This makes me think of Babel, um, mm. which I, um, I'm i a little bit wary of asking. I wondered, it's hard to to escape, I guess. You're a London-based poet. Babel is a tower. Mm. I wondered if it was about Grenfell. Um, it wasn't, but with there being, with the lineation of it, being of one tower, I can understand why you might think that. Um, The thing that I was thinking about when I read that poem, most of all, 
was the idea of the estate scrubbed clean of its grimy self, lighter song gagged. And it reminded me of Naomi Klein's um, book on disaster capitalism, where instead of repair or improvement to people's homes, um, disaster is an excuse for just demolishing them entirely, Mm -hmm. rebuilding in a sort of white middle-class image of what a city should look like. Mm -hmm. Um, But this rationalization, obviously, is an excuse to make capital. Yeah, yeah. And I haven't read the Naomi Klein that you're referring to, but disaster can and is many things. Disaster can be as brutal and horrifying as a tower being on fire, but it can also be subtle and long-term in frequent like price rises and in Mm -hmm. general gentrification and the constant pushing out of communities in places that they were only in because they weren't allowed elsewhere to begin with. Do you think sometimes these bigger, more visible disasters in some ways take away from the that more in, insidious daily politics where um, it's everyone sort of rallies behind that, that big image, which is obviously, you know, appalling, but then there's, there's very little sort of follow up in terms of attention to the, you know, the everyday issue. I don't think so. I think that that is more, I don't think so personally. I think that that is more a reflection of the news and the media and the Mm -hmm. fact that from politics to everything, obviously, it is easy to focus on this large disaster and pretend that everything else doesn't exist. I would argue that for the people who make up that everything else, Someone living in poverty in Plasto isn't going to forget that they're living in poverty because... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think that... Yeah, no, I totally ...for people on the outside looking in, but I'm not sure how important or useful they are. Yeah, I'm more more talking in the the context of politicians and Mm -hmm. and, um, an action that, that can... That can fix it on a systemic level. Yeah. That's more more what I mean. So yeah, I, yeah. But even those big disasters that like we reference, be it Grenfell or Windrush, whilst for a time everyone is looking at them and the politicians are saying this is the thing that we're gonna focus on, then five years passes and nothing has happened. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it is a long time ago now. It feels, maybe that's an effect of the pandemic, that it doesn't feel as long ago as it was. But yeah, um, I wondered if um, you would read Babel, because it was one of my favourite poems in the collection. Yeah. I interpreted it slightly amiss. Babel. Everybody going gone, people packed, went outskirts and elsewhere. Sound been bagged, aerial come down, music plucked from sky and scattered, tower come down, lives in matted woven nylon zipped, uncle cousin gone, base in backpacks, trunk rattle hushed, couldn't no centre ever hold all that racket, no, 
Woman on the 67 bus with the story she's gone. Estate scrubbed clean of its grimy self. Loiter song gagged. Gap toothed whistle no more. Song not ever. Pasta on the corner mistakes. Empty for heaven. Communion run empty. No two or more gathered. No bodies here. Only ghosts and memory holding this nothing and nobody place up. Thank you. No. Yeah, I love. I I just find the ending of that poem so powerful. It's a very vague thing to say, but um, um I'm going to talk a little bit about while I yet live. Mm-hmm. If I can find my bit of paper with my notes, um, I was particularly curious about confessions in three four timing Mm. so there seems to be a an association between violence and belonging especially in this third stanza i don't have the pdf open um but where you talk about wanting to brand and be branded Mm. um and then before that there's this more specific you talk you talk in more specific terms with regard to um the mother and tribal marks and africa mm. and then it's almost like the wanting to brand and be branded is a way of saying that didn't quite cut it that was a way of me sort of dampening the sense of violence mm. that i feel would that be accurate i think that As opposed to, and obviously it's all connected, as opposed to um, literal physical violence, violence is the language. Yeah. And so to compare those two images in the first, so with the mother and the tribal marks, I think that there is the desire from me born and raised in London to have more of a connection to Nigeria and Africa as a whole. And so the use of that image is to kind of a way to, yeah, a way to show that. Whereas with the yeah second image, then it becomes... I think more explicitly violent in that we all want to be a part of something. Um, and then there's the, oh, what's that tune? Um, oh. You know the tune? Do, 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 do. Do you know that tune? No, I don't. Beyonce has a version of it where it's like, use and abuse you or something. Sweet dreams are made of this. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Everybody's looking for something. Some of them want to use you. Some of them want to get used by you. Some of them want to abuse you. Some of them want to be abused. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't necessarily thinking of that when I wrote the line, but there is that kind of... Um... Well, you say... The poem, the poem to me almost says, why not both? Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's that sadomasochism of both wanting to belong and of wanting to create kind of, because I think that belonging, that means you're a possession of something else, but at the same time, it is home, it is safety, and both of those things are working at the same time, especially when the place that you want to belong, you feel that you can never truly belong, say you are 
a black person in England, there will always be that feeling. But then say you then are now an English person in Nigeria, then there is always that feeling of belonging. There's always that question of belonging, rather. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to ask um, about the last stanza there as well, mm. because it's quite a shift in tone. You um, almost sort of halt the poem in its tracks. You have that sort of sadomasochist line, and then um, you say sort of not now, and you almost put the question off till further mm. notice in some ways. Yeah, I think that What do you mean by that? So, what's the question? Um my question is is the motivation for the for the poem and and wanting to brand and be branded completely clear to the speaker or is it a question that's either too difficult or the motivation behind the question is unclear and so that's why it gets put off mm -hmm. in some ways mm -hmm. and it's is it um is it a question that's then ongoing for the speaker or is it simply sort of repressed i think that <clears throat> for me and we keep on kind of coming back to this word like performance or performative up until that final stanza, it is a performance of that um, that guilt most associated with certain forms of Christianity. And so that final stanza is an attempt to kind of turn the camera off and admit what you're doing where it's like mm. I'm confessing to this I'm confessing to this I'm confessing to this but I'm just performing this idea of guilt and so now I'm going to tell you that I'm just performing this idea of guilt right or this idea of whatever do you sort of sometimes catch yourself in sort of between poems or um, in the middle of poems, sorry, um, where the, what starts out as an expression of emotion becomes something that starts generating that emotion instead. Yeah, yeah. And I think that whether it's conscious or not, the, what I've found in my writing is that there's always a, is that there is often a turn towards the meta, wherein I'm writing about making these confessions and it's possible that those first three stanzas, I am talking to a generic audience. Whereas then in that final stanza, I'm kind of, the speaker is kind of talking to themselves. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah. Is there a sense of, I guess, um, guilt or shame about um, creating an emotion where, I guess I already asked this, you know, if, if it starts generating an emotion as opposed to simply expressing it, the rest is then sort of coloured by that guilt in some ways. I think that, yes, there is. And I think that that is um, evident in this poem, Confessions in Free Four Timing, like um, I caught myself dancing that misery, um, where it's like, yeah, you said it, like, sometimes do you catch yourself? And, yeah, there are times where you're writing this poem and you're like, cool, let's write about all of these 
quote unquote problematic things in life and within our own personhoods but then sometimes you catch yourself and I think it's similar in Blessed Princess Lady where this okay I'm gonna parody this idea of womanhood and motherhood and then towards the end gonna make it as clear as I can that I'm aware of the parody. So as opposed to it being a straight-faced minstrelsy, it's kind of, maybe it's even a little bit cowardly. It's kind of me trying to say to the reader, just so that you know, I know that I'm performing. And... Yeah, kind of say to the reader, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's almost like the speaker loses sight as to the extent to which it's performance. Mm-hmm. So in a sort of, in a kind of cautious, um, cautious way, just falls down on the light. Mm-hmm. Don't worry, it's just, it's just performance. Yeah. But it's kind of great because it creates this... Um, element of doubt in the reader where it's like is it though Mm. yeah which i think is really um not only an important question but it um it 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 aids in the problematizing of whatever it is you're talking about Mm. but also kind of problematizes some broader issues i i wonder if we would be having this discussion without social media where um where a lot of the time suffering is associated with performativity, mm-hmm. um, you know, to be heard is equivalent to being liked, yeah. those kind of things. Um, and I so, guess, yeah. yeah, because, and I think that those, as much as those questions and those problems I try to address within the poems themselves it creeps outside of them and into my life for instance with the first poem in While I Yet Live Obit I don't necessarily Mm. like performing that poem anymore because as you reference social media and the reproductions of violence that you see there, reading that poem kind of feels like that to me, and yeah. Yeah, I mean, I personally think Obit is a fantastic poem where you um, make some really interesting points about how racism functions, the idea no one's going to look for your killer because he looks just like you. But I could see how if that gets reproduced over and over again, that then sort of um, kind of loses its individualism as an idea in a way. And obviously it's not a problem that I face alone, but it is that the eventification of trauma and the artification of trauma I think that as we as writers and like artists create I think that's something that should always that we should always be thinking about um yeah yeah. and I imagine when that happens to you with a poem like Obit it kind of defeats the purpose of the poem right which is Mm. um one of the things that you're critiquing in that poem isn't is the idea that you're not seen as an individual, you're mm. seen as a group. Yeah. Um, so then to have that kind of assimilated into a group mindset mm. kind of defeats the purpose a little bit. Am I right in saying that? I think so. And maybe it speaks more to the... Um, what's the word? The way that like we as poets try to... Pre- our own work and try to 
at least like unconsciously or whatever, reject other readings of it, especially when the poem is born from something which in your mind has one objective meaning. So then mm-hmm. when that poem is then repurposed and reproduced like under different contexts, then we as poets like we feel a bit we feel a bit uncomfortable with that. Despite the fact that we all know that Death of the author, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I know exactly <laughs> what you mean. Um, this reminds me, actually, of um, of a couple of notes I made on... Um, I need to find the right sheet again. Um, uh, yeah, back to Sender, where you say, thank you for keeping your eyes closed, which I assume is a reference to Sunday service, where you ask us to close, mm. close your eyes. Um you're sort of saying, you know, I've got enough blessings now, it's fine. Um, reading here seems tangled up with patronization, which is obviously a historic thing. Mm. Um, you know, patrons used to be a more specific thing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you're reading a book, you're buying the book, so you're commodifying the work. You you know, it's a form of patronization, mm-hmm. which has all these con- connotations of, you know, condescension and stuff. Um, so my question is, what is your relationship to the reader in your work? Which I guess is a bit broad. Um, but is it is it as uneasy as that poem makes out? I think that my relationship to the reader has definitely changed over the years. Um, what is my relationship to the reader? I I care, but I don't care too much. I think that I write my poems, or at least I try to write my poems, so that someone exactly like me would understand them. Right. And obviously we have many different contradicting identities within ourselves so the identities that I go by or whatever some of them would overlap with you so some of the things that I'm writing in this specific instance you will be able to like grab onto it but in more simplistic terms I have no expectation I don't write for a universal reader or yeah well there is no one reader yeah, yeah, yeah. really you know the question is a little bit problematic in and of itself there is no one reader to write mm-hmm. yeah. for or or um yeah every reader is different right yeah um i think what i actively don't want to do is explain myself or explain my world and in auntie uncle poems what i'm trying to achieve is the illustration of this world the illustration of this we this lyric we or whatever whereby certain things i'm sure and i hope everyone would be able to understand whereas other things for example this experience of loads of family members praying for you and you being like okay that's enough now or being at like a Nigerian house party or whatever certain people will get certain references certain people won't and that's fine I wondered if you would give us another reading yeah um I wondered how you felt about reading Drake Equation. Yeah. Drake Equation. I'm running out of data on the train. Everyone is feeling particularly lonely. It isn't enough. Everyone and me. 
earplugged and stirring is listening to something considering charts and cadence of feet bounce it is likely we are listening to drake drake says sometimes i feel good sometimes i don't he knows that until he bursts from carbs or cliche we will love him always drake has been on our minds now for some 420 weeks at least everyone and drake is wearing t-shirts with drake lyrics printed on them we are signing love letters and suicide notes with drake isms it isn't enough wake up mumbling something drake drool on our pillow wonder where else still we can find traces of him we're only now just learning drake says more life more everything always more feeding every hour on the hour all the amenities the biggest residential pool on the planet everybody in it my critics and my friends, fat happy house, my children and everybody loving me, the pictures, portrait of the artist eating, portrait of the artist in the biggest residential pool on the planet, fat and happy, Drake's ear is to the zeitgeist, listening for something out there, shooting his shot into space, waiting, it isn't enough to hold everybody and their faces, sing it, there are so many people outside that haven't heard it yet, I don't know if they can wait, how long, Drake says I do not know what permanent is, I'm only now just learning, I'm upset, doing the best that I can to be heard, I need more content.